The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 62, to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It's verses 22 through 30 today. This is entitled, You Shall Put Away the Evil. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. On Monday, the 14th of June, I was struggling with motivation. I was in the ninth of ten days of antibiotics for a wound that I had in my foot, and I was dragging. By 9 a.m., I wasn't sure if I could make it through this sermon. So, to get some pity points from my friend Sergio, I sent him a message. Do you have any motivation? For what? For me, I am completely lacking. 
If you have some to spare, I could use it. About 10 minutes later, I got an email with a folder to unzip. When I did, there was a short movie from Sergio. He and Rhoda had written out sticky notes and pasted them all over their house. They were little notes of motivation accompanied by some great spunky music as he went from one to another. Eventually, the music came to a climax as the last sticky note took me to the refrigerator and a note about how soon the day would be over and I would get a nice treat at that time. It's just what I needed. If it had ended with a sticky note on their cat, I would not have survived the day. I thank them for getting me back into the groove. The sermon got done, and so may the Lord be magnified. As far as the sermon passage, it follows in the same general theme as the verses from the previous weeks of purity, holiness, and that which is fair and just. The people were to abstain from sexual immorality, and there were to be consequences for those who failed to measure up. Even today in the church, we are to conduct ourselves properly in regard to the main issues set forth in our verses. Paul, Peter, and James all refer to adultery. At times, it may be speaking of the physical act. At others, it refers to spiritual adultery. But this shows us how intimately connected the two are in the mind of the Lord. Our text verse comes from James 4. It's verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The thing about adultery is that nobody ever goes unscathed from it. We may think we did, but eventually even those who did in this life must face the Lord who judges all such things. And so we need to be attentive to the covenant in which we exist, be it with our spouse or with our God. For those who fail, and we all do at some point, the mercy of the Lord covers our failings. Thank God for Jesus Christ who took the penalty and the punishment that we deserve upon himself. We are freed from this body of death once and forever through his cross. Because of this, shouldn't we be more willing to be obedient to the word? Grace is granted, but it doesn't offer us license in the process. That is contrary to the whole tenor of Scripture. And so let us live in purity and holiness in gratitude for what he has done. Once again, such lessons as this are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a few thoughts for you today. The first is cases of adultery, verses 22 through 27. Verse 22, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, ki yematze ish shochev im isha be'ulat ba'al, 
When is found man lying with woman married to husband? As so often is the case, rather than a possibility, if a man, the words are set forth as a positive proposition, when a man. The words presuppose wickedness of man and that such a thing will, in fact, occur. When it does, action to correct the infraction must take place. Further, instead of the word ish or man, the word baal or master is used. Both are translated as husband, but with Baal, there is conveyed the sense of ownership rights. The words, therefore, subtly convey the idea that a violation of property rights is a part of the crime. One is taking that which does not belong to another. Both the verb and the noun form of Baal are used. The verb signifies to be master over, and the noun signifies master or owner. Thus, to paraphrase this for understanding, we could say, a woman under the authority of her master. To see the difference, Hosea chapter 2 uses both words, thus making a play on the word Baal, meaning the heathen god of that name. Here's what it says there. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, Ishi, and no longer call me my master, Baali. For I will take from her mouth the name of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. As far as the contents of this verse, the words substantially repeat but rephrase the thought of Leviticus 20, verse 10. There it says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife... He who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. As in Leviticus, Moses now repeats the command. Verse 22 continues, then both of them shall die. Umetu gam shenehem, and shall die also two of them. One violated the rule of authority over her, and the other violated the principle of mastership belonging to his neighbor. In such a case, and because of the intimate nature of the act, they both are to die. Verse 22 continues, The man that lay with the woman and the woman. Ha'ish ha'shokev im ha'isha. The man, the layer, with the woman. One might wonder why the same thing as the previous clause is repeated in a different way. The explanation may be as simple as the wickedness of the human heart and the faithlessness of the judge of the case. The nearest antecedent in the first clause is the master of the woman, not the man who lay with her. Therefore, the man who lay with the woman might say, the law says that the woman and the husband are to die. As stupid as that sounds, the general rule of language could be twisted in this way, especially if the man who lay with the woman was best friends with the judge. Also, the word ish is used here to describe the man rather than Baal. The man has no right to authority over this woman. Moses is being direct, precise, and unambiguous in his words. It is something that unfortunately is needed because of the black heart of man. Removing these offenders serves a good purpose as well. Verse 22 continues, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. The words are in the singular, ubi arta hara mi Yisrael. So you singular shall purge the evil from Israel. Israel is collectively responsible as a single entity to purge away its evil. 
Again, as he repeatedly has, Moses uses the word ba'ar, which gives a sense of consuming by fire and thus purging. Without such an action, the nation would quickly devolve into greater and greater wickedness. Sounds like America today, doesn't it? Because we don't prosecute things like this anymore. A moment ago, I gave a possible explanation for why Moses repeated the same thought in a different way. As incredible as it may sound, such a violation or another violation of the law is not only possible, it should be considered inevitable. In fact, such a scenario is recorded right in Scripture in John chapter 8. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The law is clear and unambiguous. And yet when these people brought the woman before Jesus in an attempt to trap him, they violated the very law that they were attempting to set him up with. There are all kinds of ideas as to what Jesus wrote on the ground, but it may be as simple as him writing out the words of the law that he had spoken through Moses approximately 1400 years earlier. In realizing that they had broken the law, they could not claim that they were without sin. A heavy weight is associated with the law. In the end, every person there stood as guilty as the woman they brought forward. But more, the Lord defined the law in a completely unexpected way when he spoke to them on the Mount of Beatitudes. He says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus could rightly say this without anyone challenging him because the 10th commandment already set the standard. In saying, you shall not covet, the law thus noted that the heart was being evaluated by God. Coveting is something internal, known only to the coveter and to God, and yet the command is given. Thus, Adultery, which is in the heart, produces guilt, even if it is not acted upon. But more, for Israel, who was as a wife to the Lord, there was the added guilt of national apostasy. The Lord addresses that time and time again in Scripture. One such example is found in Ezekiel. It shows the deserved punishment for the people, and yet it also reveals to us the faithfulness of God, who gave them less than they deserved. From Ezekiel chapter 16, it says this, Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children which you gave to them, 
Surely, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who break wedlock or shed blood are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up an assembly against you, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women, and I will make you cease playing the harlot." and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and be angry no more, because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God, and you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abominations. Think of it. They deserve to be completely exterminated as a people because of their actions. And yet the Lord saved them because of his covenant faithfulness. Please remember that when you remember the doctrine of eternal salvation. Your unfaithfulness does not negate the faithfulness of God. From the notion of adultery by a wife, next, a new scenario that is in line with it is addressed. Verse 23, if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, again, the word isn't so much if as when, the circumstances where a virgin is betrothed. The word is aras, signifying betrothal or engagement. This was a formal acknowledgement that a woman now belonged to a man with the same regard as if she was already married to him. If such is the case, verse 23 continues, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her. The reason at this point is irrelevant. However the union came about, all that matters is that the betrothed wife of the man has been violated by another. This is the position of Joseph, which he was in concerning Mary. Until he was alerted to the truth of the matter, this is certainly what he thought. It says in Matthew 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. For Joseph, there were surely two and possibly three reasons for being called a just man. The first is that he is of the tribe of Judah and thus could possibly be a father of the Messiah. This would have been the hope of any one of the line of David, and this scandal would damage any such hopes. A second possible reason is that if he were one to adhere to the law, and or who understood the lessons of the books of wisdom, having a woman like this into the future would only increase his grief and turn out to be a thorn in his side. In this, it would not be wise to hold on to such a wife. A third and obvious reason is seen in the words, not wanting to make her a public example. The reason for that is explained in the next verse. Verse 24, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city. The words in this and the next clause are in the plural. You all are to do this thing. The gate is the place of judgment. In the disclosing of their actions, the judgment is determined already. As such, punishment is to then be meted out. Verse 24 continues, And you shall stone them to death 
with stones. Stoning is the set penalty for adultery, and this is to be considered adultery, even if the woman is only betrothed. She was promised to a man, the agreement was made, and nobody else, including her, had the right to violate the agreement. But she did implicitly, even if she was forced, as it says, verse 24 continues, the young woman, because she did not cry out in the city. Cities in Israel at this time were very small, normally enclosed in walls, and the houses would be closely arrayed. If she had been raped, there is no doubt that it would have been heard. Even if he had his hand over her mouth, eventually his hand would be removed. Thus, it is implied that she had consented to the act. For this, she is to die. Also, verse 24 continues, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. The word eshet, or wife, is used. Thus, it is made explicit in the law itself that a betrothal carried the same weight and responsibility as after the marriage took place. Like the man in verse 22, he has taken a man's wife that did not belong to him, and for it, he must die. Verse 24 continues, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Now the words return to the singular. So you, singular, shall put away the evil from among you, singular. The nation as a whole is directed to take the action that is necessary to remove the evil. And again, it is the same expression as in verse 22, except there it said, put away the evil from Israel. Here it says, put away the evil from among you. The evil in Israel was to be purged away as if by fire. Thus, there is a purifying nature to the stoning of such offenders. Verse 25, but if a man finds a betrothed woman in the countryside, here the state of the woman is the same as the previous verse. But instead of ba'ir, or in the city, it emphatically says ve'im ba'sade, or but if in the field. Thus, it signifies that they are outside of the city walls. If it is in such a place, verse 25 continues, and the man forces her and lies with her. They hechezek ba, and forces her. Unlike such a case in the city where no such action is assumed, the woman in this case is presumed to have been raped. As such, verse 25 continues, then only the man who lay with her shall die. A separation is made between the man and the woman, and she is given the benefit of the doubt that it was completely beyond her control. Moses makes this law and states it explicitly. The people cannot go beyond what is written unless other evidence is available. As he next says, verse 26, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. Here the words are in the singular again, but you, singular, shall do nothing. The woman, by stated law, is not to be stoned. Thus Israel, the people, as a whole, are restrained from taking action against her. The assumption of innocence is given to her, and it must be maintained. As Moses next says, verse 26 continues, there is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. The Hebrew reads, no sin death. There are sins, and there are sins. In the case of adultery, the sin is a sin where death is the expected and mandated punishment. In order to impress upon them that this is expected, Moses gives a real-life example for them to consider. Verse 26 continues, For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. This takes the reader back to Deuteronomy 19. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally, so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, 
Then the elders of his cities shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Such a person is deemed a murderer and is not to be spared. He purposefully waited for him, came upon him, and struck him. Likewise, the woman was preyed upon and had no chance to flee from her assailant. The man is as guilty as one who commits murder, and the woman is free from the stain of guilt. With even that stated, Moses goes further to ensure that the woman is considered innocent and cannot be harmed, speaking in advance of how the law is to deem such a situation. Verse 27, for he found her in the countryside. The first protection, Moses overlooks any hint of impropriety in the woman in saying, for he found her, it implies that she was as a prey to him. The fact is that she could have gone out into the field and met a man, but that is not even entertained here. As this is the law, it must then be adhered to as it is written. Does everybody see how important that is? Next, Moses continues to anticipate the circumstance as if he's standing there watching it happen. Verse 27 going on, and the betrothed young woman cried out, cried out the young woman, the betrothed, the second protection. Moses anticipates the situation for the woman, thus giving any woman in such a circumstance the benefit of the doubt. The weight of the law is on her side. Verse 27 continues, but there was no one to save her. The third protection. Moses, in advance of entering Canaan, speaks on behalf of a woman in such a situation. Not only was she preyed upon, and not only did she cry out, but she also had no one to save her from the man's attacks, including herself. She was defenseless and totally subjected to him. As far as Joseph and what the words a just man means, as well as his not wanting to make her a public example, some reasons were given earlier, but it is still somewhat speculative. However, the account in Luke is clear. Mary lived in a city, and the angel came to her in her house. It says in Luke 1, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. We are not told of any conversations between Joseph and Mary, but one of them was certainly a plea of innocence, something surely claimed by many others throughout history. Beyond this, we cannot impute any type of wrongdoing to Joseph in regard to neglecting the law as it is written. The words stand without further explanation, except it says in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. With these three cases complete, there is another to consider, but one which does not involve the bonds of marriage. The law is written and the deed is done. There is no hope for one who has acted in this way. What was only a moment of temporary fun will cost you your life this very day. What value did I gain when I did this thing? My life will surely end this very day. What I thought would make me laugh and sing has brought me to my end by acting in this way. 
it can't be that all of them are without sin. Why are they all leaving? They know what I have done. A moment ago, I thought I was done in. But I have been brought from death to life by God's perfect son. Our second thought today is the father's rights. It's verses 28 through 30. Verse 28, if a man finds a young woman who is betrothed, I'm sorry, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin who is not betrothed, now a circumstance similar to the previous one, but with the difference of the virgin not being betrothed is given. If this was not presented as such, there would be a void in how to handle the matter. But more, the way that the matter is handled is given to impress upon the mind the high importance of the betrothal and or marriage of a woman. Once such an action takes place, she assumes a completely different category than a woman who is not betrothed or married. Some may find this unfair, especially for what happens to the woman in this case, but it is given to demonstrate and highlight the immense importance of the husband-wife relationship. It is not something to be taken lightly. In this case, a woman is a virgin, but she is not betrothed, and a man finds her. Verse 28 continues, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out. It is a different word than that used in verse 25, but it is rightly translated as seizes her. He is forcing himself on her. This is a similar law to that already recorded in Exodus chapter 22, where it says this, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. There it says he entices her. The difference between enticing and seizing does not seem to be significant in regard to the overall principle and the punishment imposed. It instead appears one account is simply repeating and further defining the other. Whether she was enticed or forced, she is not bound to another man, and she is under the authority of her father. If a man takes her in such a case, thus stripping her of her virginity, verse 29, then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver. This is the bride price as is stated in Exodus 22. The difference is that the Lord mandated a bride price, whatever it may be at that time. Now Moses builds upon that and mandates what that bride price will be. This does not mean that the bride price for any virgin of Israel is 50 shekels of silver. It means that in this case, it is the amount set. In other words, someone may have an exceptionally beautiful daughter and require more, or he may have one still waiting to get her beauty on, and he may require less. However, in this case, regardless as to any other factor, this man must pay as required by the set law. He has no choice in the matter. This amount, 50 shekels, was the highest amount required for the consecration vow of a person in Leviticus 27. We saw that last week. It was set for a man in the prime of his life between 20 and 60 years of age in Leviticus 27 verse 3. In other words, this act by the man against the father's daughter is noted as an exceptionally grievous offense. The working years of the father were, in essence, stolen from him. Therefore, the father is to receive this as fair compensation. Verse 29 continues, and she shall be his wife. Although this may sound out of place and even cruel, it is actually appropriate for the society where a woman may be betrothed even at a very young age. In fact, the betrothal period certainly included a set age before which she could not be given away for the sake of consummating the marriage. 
In this case, she was not yet even betrothed, and yet she has been deflowered. As such, she would be hard-pressed to find a husband that would treat her properly as a wife. Therefore, this is actually a protection for the woman, as is seen in the next words. Verse 29 continues, because he has humbled her. It is the same word used in verse 24. There, the betrothed woman has been humbled, thus depriving the husband of what belonged to him. As the betrothed didn't cry out, her humbling was as much her fault as the man's. In this case, the woman is humbled in a society where her chances of happiness in marriage are significantly reduced. Therefore, the man is required to assume responsibility for his conduct and to marry this woman. What is probable here in Deuteronomy is that the principle set forth in Exodus still applies. If the father absolutely refuses to allow him to marry his daughter, then the matter would be settled with the 50 shekels of silver. In this, the father could possibly obtain another bride price, but not as a virgin. And further, he could also ensure that whoever married her would be a suitable husband in the process. If the father permits the marriage to go forward, verse 29 continues, he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. In addition to paying this exceptional amount of 50 shekels, the man will be obligated to remain married to the woman for his entire life. What is likely, but which is unstated, is that such a marriage would be subject to his treating her faithfully in that marriage. She would have the weight of the law on her side to ensure that she was not simply pushed aside and neglected. The protections for the woman were especially strong in the Israelite society. They surely stand above the laws of other societies of the time in their treatment of such situations. And I'll tell you this, certainly more than is happening in Afghanistan right now. With these cases complete, the chapter ends with one more verse concerning sexual relations. Verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife. No man was to have relations with his father's wife. This is true in any circumstance. In some Mideastern cultures, if a man had a young wife in his old age, the son would assume her as his own upon her death. Any such thing was absolutely forbidden. This point of law has already been stated as a sin punishable by death. From Leviticus 18, the nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. And then from Leviticus 20, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. To uncover the nakedness of a father's wife was to uncover the father's own nakedness. It is considered a perversion. So much is this case that it will also be seen as worthy of a curse. From Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. I get to type that sermon tomorrow. Woohoo, can't wait. <laughs> Verse 30 finishes with, Nor uncover his father's bed. Velo yagale kanaf abiv. And no uncover wing his father. The wing signifies the hems of a garment. When Ruth offered herself to Boaz, she used the same term from Ruth 3. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. It is also the same term that the Lord used in Ezekiel 16 when referring to Jerusalem. From Ezekiel 16, 8, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. 
So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. This term then signifies the rights, authority, and possessions of the Father. In other words, it would extend to any woman, even a concubine. Thus it shows that what Absalom did was a violation of this point of law. It says in 2 Samuel 16, And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubine in the sight of all Israel. It is also certainly the point of law that Solomon used to convict and execute his brother Adonijah. He came with subtlety and asked Bathsheba to convince Solomon to give King David's concubine Abishag to him. Solomon saw through his words, knowing that he would use having her as a pretext to have a claim on the throne. Therefore, because this law forbade such an act, Solomon had a reason to execute him. It says in 2 Kings 2, And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. Some are meant to die, and yet they are given life. Some will die without any hope. The difference is, who ends the strife? For some, total deliverance is the scope. Every debt must be paid as surely as the sun does rise. Nothing will be overlooked on the judgment day. But for those in Christ, eternal life is the prize. Those who have seen the good and pursued the right way. Only in him does the promise hold fast. And without him, nothing will satisfy the debt that must be paid. Until your end, the time of favor is not past. So come to Christ and the wrath towards you will be stayed. Our third thought today, pictures of Christ. Because the various scenarios follow the same theme as last week, that of honor and purity, there's no need to give the minute detail in how each of these precepts anticipates the work of Christ. If you want to know completely, go back and watch last week's sermon along with this sermon. I just am not going to repeat everything again. But in short, it is evident when considered. The first incident was adultery by a man and a woman. Israel has already been shown to be the spouse of the Lord in last week's sermon. The Lord is said in Ezekiel 16 to be married to Jerusalem. Jerusalem stands for the people who fall under her scope. The Lord spread his wing over them, and they became his. In their adultery with others, both should be destroyed. And indeed, those who committed adultery with her suffered their destruction. But because of his covenant with Israel, Christ took their punishment instead. The next two instances follow in the same thread of thought. Whether in the city or in the country, a betrothed woman is violated. In both instances, the man is to be executed. In the city, that includes the woman. In the country, it is not to be so. However, as before, Christ took the penalty of the woman in the city. 
In the other instance, she is violated but not held responsible. One can easily see the church in this one. The church is betrothed to Christ, and yet she has been violated, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In some cases, the violating was accepted and voluntary in the city. In other words, choosing to allow an apostate to lead one away. In the other, the violating was involuntary in the field. In other words, being led astray in an involuntary manner. In both instances, the offender, represented by the man, will be destroyed. Think of Jim Jones, okay? He's in a cult. The people that go to him are never going to be saved, okay? Got that? In the case of the woman in the city, as before, Christ has already paid the price for her transgression. She cannot be punished a second time. In the case of a woman in the country, believers who have been violated in this manner, beyond their control, no charge is brought against them. Okay, I'm going to give you an example. I may give it later in the sermon. I'm so confused today that I can't even think. I'm going to give you an example. Somebody goes to Papua New Guinea and they give the gospel to a group of people, and the people accept Jesus, right? Everybody got that? And all of a sudden, that guy dies, and they're left out in the jungle, and there's nobody to tell them about Jesus. And in comes a Mormon missionary and leads them astray. That would be the woman in the field. It's not her fault. She's already saved, okay? You see the difference? One is voluntarily going after a, a wrong teacher. There's no salvation, and both are to be killed. But the one that is saved and has Christ atoned for his sins, they're saved. It doesn't matter who comes afterward. As Paul says, I'll take it back up to 2 Corinthians 2. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, he's already talking about saved believers, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may put up with it. He's not telling them you're going to lose your salvation, but they're sure going to lose their joy in the process. The last proposition is more difficult to discern its meaning. But it is based on sexual contact with a woman who is not betrothed. Being consistent, this would mean she is not a part of Christ. What seems likely is that it would refer to an apostate body such as the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. The number 50 is that of jubilee or deliverance. A payment of deliverance to the Father is made, signifying that there is no longer the connection between the two. Further, the note that the husband must remain married to the woman forever seems to imply that an apostate body will always remain so. In other words, the Mormons are never going to be anything but the Mormons. They will always be apostate. It has been freed from righteousness to live with the husband that defiled her. The final verse spoke of the sanctity of the father's bed and of that which is under his authority. Unlike the faithless son, Israel who constantly is recorded as attempting to usurp their father's authority, Christ never tried to do so. Rather, he was obedient to the father, and through his finished work, he received his own bride through the new covenant. In the end, the lesson of chapter 22 is, above all else, that of honor and purity. The individual sections involve real laws that governed Israel. 
but they anticipate spiritual truths in God's redemptive narrative. Each one is given to ensure that every aspect of the human condition, as it stands in relation to God, is covered. The laws of Israel were given to govern potential scenarios that may or may never have come about. But the precepts which are stated are given to cover actual scenarios that have occurred and continue to occur in relation to spiritual matters. And every positive spiritual matter is covered by one overarching thought, that Jesus Christ has taken care of it. It is only through him that such things are resolved. For those who are not a part of what he is doing, they are wedded to another. The only way to have that corrected is to come under the wings of our Heavenly Father by coming to Christ who has fulfilled these things for his people. In other words, a person that's a Mormon can be saved. They just need to leave Mormonism in order to be saved. There is no religious expression that can bring us back to God apart from Jesus Christ. Be wise, be discerning, and make the call. He is waiting to forgive every trespass and every failing if we simply accept that he has opened this avenue for us. He has sent his Messiah into the world, and his name is Jesus. I would hope that uh, if you don't understand what was said today, to just go back and read it a couple times, and I think you'll get it. As I said, that third proposition was very difficult, and you have to maintain consistency in your symbolism, okay? When you're looking at symbolism, you can't say, well, this means this today, and this means this tomorrow. Too many people do that, and they can make anything say anything in the Bible. And so you have to be consistent with it, and that third instance is the best shot I can give you on that, and I do believe it's correct. But I just want to let you know to go back and reread it, check it out, and uh, understand that what Christ has done is good for every person on this planet. There is no such thing as being regenerated in order to believe. Every person on this planet has the option to believe, and God is not willy-nilly choosing some people to be saved and condemning others. Every person can be saved if they will simply come to Jesus Christ as he is presented in the Gospels and as explained in the epistles. All right? I would pray that today you would make that choice, that you would humble yourself and that you would come to God through Christ. There's no other avenue. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't observe the feasts of the Lord and think you're pleasing God. Guess what? He's already fulfilled those things. What you need to do is just simply receive Christ and then go on in his good graces, learning the word and applying it to your life in the context in which it is intended. Please do this today. Our closing verse comes from Hosea chapter 2. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What a great God. All of the backsliding, all of the turning away of Israel. And yes, the people that did those things will be judged for it, but the nation as a whole will never be rejected by God. How sorry I feel for people that believe that God has done something new by having the church replace Israel. What an unfaithful way to look at the covenants of God. What an unfaithful way. Next week is Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 14. How will you act toward, toward the glorious one? It's entitled Holy Conduct Before the Lord. Part one. Thank you, Jay. That'll be our 67th Deuteronomy sermon. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. 
but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? I got a poem for you and we'll be finished. But before I give you that poem, I've got a question. It's a two-part question. You have to answer both, just like last week. And it's not a difficult one. <laughs> what prophet was told to take an adulterous wife, and what is her name? Hosea. Gomer. Yeah, Gomer Powell. She wins. Good job. Our, uh, I didn't hear the help, so I'm just going with the win. I said Sergeant Carter. Oh, yeah. Gomer Pyle. Okay, USMC. Okay, you shall put away the evil. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, so to you I tell. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones for sure. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, such she failed to do. And the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. But if a man finds a betrothed woman in the countryside by and by, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman, for there is in the young woman deserving of death no sin. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so this matter, this is what has been. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her, no one heard her shout. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, of this there is no doubt, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver. Yes, this is what he pays. And she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife, as to you I have said, nor uncover his father's bed. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father. Thank you for the wonderful blessings of being in Christ Jesus. And thank you that you have taken care of every possible scenario for the human to stand in your presence once again. Whether it's Israel being disobedient or whether it's the church being led astray, you have taken care of it for us. And Lord, you even make provision for those who are in a cult at this time if they will just simply open their eyes turn their hearts to you, and come to Christ, they will be saved. No one is beyond redemption because of the power of the shed blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Thank you that he has done every single thing necessary to reconcile us to you. What a great and wonderful God you are. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen.